0: Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks. I'm Liam Bailey. I'm Head of Research at Knight Frank. And we've got some really big news this week. We've just released our forecast for global housing market performance uh, in 2023. Doesn't sound that groundbreaking the sort of thing that research teams at property firms do. But against the current backdrop of surging... Interest rates, inflation, geopolitical angst, it might be viewed as foolhardy. So to explain all, I'm joined by Kate Everett-Allen, Knight-Frank's Global Head of Residential Research. Hello to you, Kate.
1: Good afternoon, Liam.
0: Kate, before we jump into the forecast, just paint a picture of the work that you do and the team does looking at global housing markets, so the indices, et cetera, that you do.
1: Sure. So we produce um, four global indices tracking both prices and rents across global housing markets. So some of those will be looking at the top end of the market, so prime or luxury house prices, but some also looking at at mainstream markets and using official house price data from either central banks or or national statistics offices to enable us to sort of keep a a handle on on what's happening and monitor price growth and, and rent changes around the world.
0: Okay. And for the the forecast report, we are looking at prime markets as distinct to mainstream markets. Just for our listeners, explain the difference between the two.
1: So prime markets we define as, broadly speaking, the top 5% of housing markets in value terms around the world. And they have... A particular bias towards international buyers. So it's it's luxury, uh, the luxury end of the market in places for in London, for example, it would be prime central London. Your places like Mayfair, Knightsbridge, Kensington, and our research teams around the world have identified similar markets within each of their their office patches that could align with prime. Generally, that's our our overall definition.
0: And I think we've we've used the phrase that isn't perfect for every market, but it's useful. The kind of top 5% of properties within each of those markets is kind of the prime market segment. Yeah. Okay, so if we just look at mainstream markets for a second, I'm looking at the numbers for places like New Zealand, and even Australian cities, uh, we're seeing double digit price falls in less than a year in some of those markets. But just give me the top line headline, prime markets are outperforming mainstream markets. Is that the general tone?
1: Yeah, at the moment, it's a close run thing. I think we're on the sort of tipping point, both at the mainstream and prime markets. Just so happens, we're putting together the latest data, which tracks mainstream markets to Q3 at the moment. And I think we're looking at price growth of around 9%. And prime prices are growing at around 10% per annum. So prime markets have the edge slightly at the moment. We expect them to outperform in the coming year, just because of the the larger proportion of cash buyers that we see within that market. So they're not going to be as impacted by, by the mortgage rises and the interest rate rises we're seeing globally.
0: And in terms of the report that you've just launched, you're tracking prime market prices across 25 different global cities, It's something which you take the pulse of on a regular basis. So how has the overall outlook changed in this edition of the report?
1: So we ask our research teams around the world to give us their view on price growth for the next year. We do that on a sort of six-monthly basis. So we asked them in June was the last time, and then we've just updated it. Back in June, we expected prime prices next year to grow by 2.7%. That's come down. So, we're now expecting forecast growth across all of those 25 markets to average about 2%. So, that is what we would expect. But still, nonetheless, price growth. We're not expecting price falls as an aggregate performance.
0: I guess that point actually on the fact that most markets you're expecting prices to rise on average, might surprise some of our listeners given the headwinds that the economy is facing and and property markets are facing. But you've got a few markets in the list which are set to see price falls, including London. Just give us a flavour of the other markets you think will, uh, or our research is showing, will likely show a a, a fall next year.
1: So at the moment, we're expecting Hong Kong, Edinburgh, Vancouver, London and Seoul will be the, the key ones that will see prices decline. By relatively moderate figures, so less than 3%, really. And I think that's the sort of the the key story, really, is that there is only a handful of markets at this stage that we're expecting prices to fall. And that's largely for reasons such as, for example, in in Vancouver, expecting a foreign buyer ban to come in in the start of, of 2023. We've also seen some cooling measures introduced in other markets, so they're sort of the anomalies. By and large, we're still expecting price growth of some level in 2023.
0: And in terms of the the risers, which markets are we tipping for the biggest growth next year?
1: So next year, Dubai tops the forecast. So annual price growth is expected around 13, 14 percent next year, and I think that's really a sort of supply and demand story. So we're still seeing a lot of interest from overseas buyers, and it's. Relative affordability came to the fore, really, throughout the pandemic. And that is continuing, well, we're continuing to see that level of of interest. The US city, so Miami, is also one of the top performers, 5% growth. And then quite a number of European cities. And I think what we're seeing there is places like Paris, but also Dublin, Madrid. We're starting to see the emergence as the Eurozone sort of tips into sort of a recessionary period. We're starting to see some safe haven capital flight into those markets that we've seen already into places like Switzerland and Monaco. And we expect that to increase over the course of the next 12 months.
0: You mentioned the shift in expected performance between this update and your, and your most recent update. Um, which markets have seen the biggest change between the two in terms of the outlook?
1: So we've seen overall that there are four cities, Zurich, Vancouver, Paris and Singapore, that we actually expect to see price growth. The forecast between June and now has actually increased for 2023. And I think in each of those markets, there's different reasons. So Zurich, for example, is there's a real lack of supply, which is supporting prices. We've seen policy shifts in Vancouver, as I mentioned. We've got the foreign buyer ban coming in. And we've also seen in Paris, the weaker euro is driving quite a lot of interest from US dollar purchases, all those pegged to the dollar. So they've got sort of extenuating circumstances, if, if you like, as to why our research teams consider that they're going to see stronger price growth than they thought six months ago.
0: Just going back to those top tier growth markets, you touched on Miami. But just thinking about US markets for a second, your your outlook for LA, New York, as well as Miami is positive for next year. Just take us through how you see the US markets performing over the next 12 months.
1: So the US markets, and particularly New York, we're starting to see quite a lot of interest from overseas purchases. And I think that's sort of almost counterintuitive, because you would normally normally expect the strong dollar would actually deter foreign interest. But for those that are pegged to the dollar, so those particularly in the Middle East Latin America, et cetera, Hong Kong, you know, there's no potential negative by purchasing. They're not seeing any, any higher cost in purchasing in the US. So we're seeing them want to have greater exposure to the dollar, not less, because they're wanting to ensure that if the, if the Fed continues to accelerate its interest rate hikes at, at the rate it's doing, then potentially there's a, a chance that the dollar will continue to increase and they want exposure to that. I think LA is an interesting one. There is a mooted debate on a uh, mansion tax on homes priced above $5 million. That could potentially have an impact on, on price growth over the course of the next 12 months. Miami is always one that attracts a lot of overseas interests, particularly from Latin America. And I think we're continuing to see that there's a sort of supply and demand argument there. So a so the lack of supply now, which is very different to what we saw in sort of 2008 when it was really the, the poster child for, for the credit crunch and, and the crisis that we saw then.
0: Brilliant. Um, just think about the, the sort of key trends that underpin or drive market behaviour. I mean, from my perspective, I think when it comes to housing markets globally, the number one influence is obviously has been the shift in inflation and how that's played into interest rates over the past five months or six months in particular. But in terms of prime markets, things get a bit more complicated because, as you mentioned, even in a difficult economic environment, you can begin to see things like safe haven flows beginning to kind of counteract some of those economic drivers. But what does the report say in terms of the kind of key trends that investors and people interested in the sector should be monitoring?
1: One thing we're seeing is the strength of the the prime rental market, particularly in sort of top tier cities, so New York, London, etc. And I think that's still got further to run. We might see the rate of annual growth start to ebb slightly, but still there is that strong rental demand. So those looking at, at long term rental investments might potentially start targeting that end of the market as a potential inflation hedge. We're also seeing a number of markets, there's this debate we've talked about for a long time, the sort of push and pull. So some markets looking to deter foreign buyers, looking to ramp up property taxes, that's still happening in certain parts of the market or certain parts of the world, particularly where there is an affordability crisis or concerns. So places like Canada, like Australia, New Zealand, etc. But then you've got other markets that are really trying to attract that wealth and skilled workers in particular. So Singapore and Hong Kong are particularly targeting that sort of high earners and that top talent with new visas. We heard recently Indonesia and Thailand have now joined the club to offer digital nomad visas as well. So I think it's going to be an interesting 12 months as you you almost see the world become slightly more polarised as to whether they want to attract or deter those wealth flows around the world.
0: One of the biggest buyer groups globally has been uh, mainland Chinese investors who've made their presence felt in locations like London, Vancouver and and, and further afield. With China's property market facing some significant challenges, what do you think this means for global housing markets and demand in particular?
1: So I think China, we know, has had capital controls in place for, for a number of years now, which has restricted outflows to some degree. The local market, as part of our forecast, we we did a sort of high net worth survey, which found that the Chinese mainland owners were were the largest owners of properties around the world. So on average, only 3.8 properties globally. But the large part of those will be held within China. I think they have announced recently this 16 point plan to try and get the property market back on its feet and to lessen some of the curbs that were put on property developers over the course of, of the last 12, 18 months. I think a lot will depend on buyer sentiment ultimately, and whether that is sufficient for Chinese purchases to believe that when they they put down a down payment on a property, that that property will actually get purchased. So it would be interesting to see over the next sort of six twelve months as to whether the market starts to turn around as a result of the policies that have been implemented. We've also got the concern recently in the last few days of the protests that are taking place. That could pose a headache for central banks around the world if we start to see some impact on supply chains which with China being such a a key manufacturing base for the world, that could pose another headache for those central bank policymakers who are trying to keep hold of inflation. Will we see, for example, further supply chains or supply chain shocks that we've seen as a result of the pandemic over the last couple of years?
0: Just going back to some of those key drivers for the markets going forward, interest rates obviously are A critical issue to watch. Uh, Flora Harley, our colleague who covers economic policy issues on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, forecast that 4% might be the the peak for base rates in the UK. We're going to be holding it to that as data comes in over the next few months. But that retreat from the kind of worst case interest rate scenarios that we were looking at a couple of months ago, or maybe, maybe even a month ago, could become a growing feature. You know, as inflation potentially begins to peak in more countries globally, there may be a feeling from central banks that actually they don't need to move as far and as fast in terms of interest rate rises. Do you think there is actually, is there a potential upside for homeowners on the figures in our forecast this year?
1: Yeah, potentially. Whilst we are facing probably the strongest economic headwinds we've faced for several years, if not decades, there are a number of factors which are likely to put a floor under prices over the the next few months. If you think back to 2008, we'd just come off the back of a sort of house-building frenzy in a number of markets. So places like Spain and Ireland saw huge additions to their housing stock. We're actually at the opposite end of that. We're now seeing we've had two or three years of limited construction across most markets. And as a result, we're in in nothing like that situation. So we've got that backlog of, of a lack of supply. So that could change things and, and push things on the upside. You've also got households that have accrued a lot of savings. We've talked a lot about it over the last couple of years during the pandemic. And yes, some of that has been spent, but there's still a significant amount of that that remains sort of in, in household budgets. And um, labour markets are relatively resilient at the moment. So we were looking at the G7 of late and looking at their unemployment figures and actually Unemployment has decreased year on year in all but one of the G7 members. That was just Germany. So we're monitoring a a range of factors. We're monitoring particularly labour markets, but also bankruptcies, repossessions, those types of, of indicators to gauge just the severity of the downturn and just how lengthy it might be. But there are several factors which we think will support prime prices, particularly over the course of the next 12 months.
0: Kate, your knowledge of global markets is second to none. I strongly encourage our listeners to download copies of the report. That's a wrap, Kate. Thank you very much for joining.
1: Thanks, Liam. Thanks very much.
0: And for more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note that goes out each Monday, Wednesday and Friday or any one of our dedicated sector-focused newsletters, including Kate's, uh, that comes out every month. See our show notes for more details. And please subscribe to Intelligent Talks wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you very much for listening to this week's episode.